A is for Alcoholic is a program about recovery. Thank you for your patronage and enjoy the show. So here we are. Happy Halloween, Jerry. Boo. Boo. Boo boo hoo. <laughs> so what we like to do here for you uh, kind people on uh, our patrons on Patreon is we like to do a movie review. And the movies that we like to pick are revolve around or somehow steeped in alcoholism, recovery, um, addiction, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, like we watch other movies too, though. <laughs> Right, yeah. It's, like, Megan's not like, what should we watch tonight? I'm like, something with addiction. <laughs> Clean and sober. Hit it. Michael yeah, Keaton. over and over again on a loop. Just Michael Keaton's werewolf hair. You know, once in a while you want to watch, like, Talladega Nights or... Uh, right, yeah. The Machinist. Although, the yeah. machi- that that's not really... that's a, What was that about? What was his problem? Christian Bale and mental illness and eating mm. an apple and smoking cigarettes, I guess. Mm. Mm. So, for Halloween... <laughs> So this is cool. So you guys, the Patre- uh, the Patreon patrons, will have this podcast for Halloween. There'll be the Stephanie Strange interview with she's a she's a musician in Portland. Maybe you've oh, heard right of her. On. I don't know. Maybe yeah. not. And um and then we'll have our our Q and A on Friday. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's three shows in one week. All the ducks lined up. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So this week we're doing or this this time around we're doing the Shining. Shiny. So I know this is probably one of your, uh, would you say top favorite movies? Like I, mean, I, I iconic. You know what? It used to be. It's weird <laughs> until you watched it's, it again. It's still there. It's still there, but it, it leaves a little to be desired after watching it today. I'm like, they could have done more though. There's a little more. They hey, I, I can't wait to hear you fucking tear apart Stanley Kubrick's. No, not at all. It's a beautiful fucking it's... movie, dude. It like uh-huh. resonates, but. I don't know. At the end, I felt like there was a little more to be desired. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, I felt like... Um, yeah, the the themes could have been... I, I agree. There could have been a little more to be desired. And I know this sounds a little... Um, I don't know. Capricious or pretentious or something. But, mm-hmm. you know. But I felt it was like a little... Like, oh, okay. Dude just goes crazy. But... We want to talk about right this right. through the lens of alcoholism, which I thought you know was going to be a lot more difficult to do, but it was mm-hmm. almost immediate. You know, the first thing in the beginning, the title or the where the title comes in, and they're just they're driving to wherever. And my first mm-hmm. thought was, oh, this movie starts with a geographical move. <laughs> right. Oh, damn! I didn't even catch that. That's great. <laughs> you know, and I people out there don't know geographic. When people talk about a geographic in recovery, it's usually that's um, one of the ways that we alcoholics will try to outrun our alcoholism by moving to another town or state, mm-hmm. inevitably just revisiting all the, without recovering, revisiting all the horrible right. shit that we did. <laughs> Everywhere you go, it's like that's where you are, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then one of the, um, I put here in quotes, "I'm looking for a change." By Jack Torrance, mm-hmm. and I guess he says that maybe in the, in the interview, something like that. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't catch that as much. I, what I know is that um, it was it. Uh, it oh, Stephen King. It's a nineteen a book Stephen King wrote in like seventy four. Yes, and then they made the movie in nineteen eighty. And the big difference I noticed. I mean, I'll probably be talking a lot more about because I just 
read the book recently again, reread it. And, I've never uh, read the book. There's so. a lot of glaring differences between the book and the movie. The book goes farther into uh, Jack Torrance's alcoholism. The book is mm-hmm. all about his alcoholism, actually. And he's like a white-knuckle alcoholic. Like, there's no program, no nothing. Like, he's just, like, not drinking anymore. Fuck some shit up, you know? And um, in the movie, they touch on it a little bit, you know? I mean, there's it's definitely in the movie. His alcoholism is... A, big part of the movie but it's not in the book it's way more steven when stephen king wrote it he was still drinking he wasn't sober yet yeah and i think that was stephen king like exploring the idea of well writing what he knows because he was drunk when he was writing it so he's like ah let's write a book about a guy in the wagon and how shitty being on the wagon is you know and he didn't get sober for many years like well into the 80s right yeah i think so yeah Mm -hmm. 85 or something but yeah um so yeah there's all these and it's a very it's more creepy than it is like, oh, I'm scared. You know, right. it's just super fucking weird and creepy. And Jack Nicholson is obviously a creepy dude. There's this immense sense, and I had written it in my notes, there's this like immense sense of isolation in the entire mm-hmm. movie. Like it is ever present. It's almost a character in the movie, isolation. And and what Kubrick does really well is he um, takes that sense of isolation and even like amplifies it with so many wide expanses like the whole all the opening shots just basically this little tiny volkswagen driving up this like you know glacier monument you know and it's just everything's so big and oppressive even in the hotel all the sets are enormous and oppressive you know right the staircases and all the Mm -hmm. the windows and it's very tall Mm -hmm. and big and and they're all alone they're always alone it's like this little unit of three people and they're always kind of they're all alone in their own kind of little the only person who really i mean not until the end of the movie but the only person who's not really in her own little hell is wendy mm-hmm. and she's just kind of like plodding along being like the total <laughs> fucking um uh like a total Alanon. like i can't think of the word right now enabler she's mm-hmm. a good enabler yeah mm-hmm. so anyway <clears throat> so yes 80 uh, 1980 movie based on 74 books stephen king mm-hmm Scary, scary Jack Nicholson, um, Shelley, um, I was gonna say Shelley Duvall. Duvall. Yes, mm-hmm. the little and, boy's name is Danny Lloyd, and Scatman Carruthers, and Scatman Carruthers, who, in my opinion, is the dude. Listen, this is the dude that, like, this dude is my dude. Like, that's I don't want to say spirit animal, but as far as living a life, like, I like Scatman Carruthers' life. I'm in this movie. Yes, in Dick, this movie. Dick Halloran's my dude. That's like my <laughs> idol, dude. And we'll get into Dick Halloran, and I, I, I want it because there's some notes I made specifically about Dick, and I'm like, he's cool as fuck, dude. Uh-huh. Like, um, yeah, you know, one of the thing I I thought about was that um, that Danny has this imaginary friend that talks to him that lives in his mouth, right? right. He always says that name, Tony, and I I, I just wrote that the um, there are certain episodes that bring on the emotional factors. Um, that cause a kid to have an imaginary friend. Mm-hmm. So they touch on it later in the movie, but I think that like living with, you know, an alcoholic father and an enabling mother will cause kids to go inward. And I think that's right. And I don't know all the psychology behind it, but that it causes kids to create these imaginary friends. Well, and here's the big thing with the book and the movie once again is that in the book, Danny's middle name is Anthony. And actually, Tony is Danny's future self talking to him as his imaginary friend. And in the book, he visualizes him as an adult, like a bigger mm. kid, like telling him and warning him shit. 
And in the book, he's more of his friend. In the movie, he seems more like this possessive kind of thing that possesses him. Whereas I in the see. book, it's actually the grown-up version of himself, like kind of psychically traveling back in time and being like, hey, man, you know, all this shit's going to go down. You know, you don't want to go there. You're going to get hurt. It's going to get bad for you, you know. I see trying to help him. And obviously, he's a yeah. kid. There's not much he can do. No, he's like a five-year-old kid. You mm-hmm. know, he's like, man, look at my arms. I'm tiny. <laughs> can't do anything i can't i got tiny arms and legs what the fuck am i gonna do Mm -hmm. right my dad's jack nicholson right off the bat right there i'm fucked you know um and at one point i guess they talk about danny's he dislocated his shoulder and i got wendy's being interviewed by a doctor nurse or doctor yeah 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 she has a doctor coming because he has like a seizure or fit well she sees it as a seizure but he's actually having like this psychic reverberation like yo bad shit's gonna happen don't go to the hotel. Yeah, he pitches a little fit, and so they bring the doctor in, and she's like, has he been hurt before? And she's like, man, my husband's fucking drunk. Oh, yeah, it says my, my husband has been drinking. Mm-hmm. And and then, um, but she's, she's obviously like, oh, but everything's fine, and he's been, you know. It was like any adult would do. You grab yeah. a kid like that a hundred times, you know, no big mm-hmm. deal. He just happened to grab him a little too strong, a little too hard. He had been drinking, so he wasn't in the greatest of moods, you know. Yeah. And uh, there's that's where I had written, actually, that she was like, the, I wrote, yeah, Wendy is a classic enabler, and she's explaining how Jack breaking Danny's arm while drunk was just a simple accident, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And did you notice when she was talking to her the whole time, too, I mean, I know you watched the movie a few days ago, but I just watched it. She's, like, smoking a cigarette, and the ash is, like, unbroken. Yes. It's, like, giant. Like, she's just not in movement the entire time because I guess she's just trying to sell this to this person who doesn't have to live with the chaos of a ripping mm. alcoholic. But at this point, Jack is, like, five months white-knuckle sober. Like, white-knuckle and dry-drunk, right? He's this, right. you know. And what what do we mean by dry-drunk? That he's... He's an alcoholic who hasn't replaced alcohol or hasn't replaced the alcohol with any sort of program of any kind. Right. And he's relying on the coping mechanisms he had during his active drinking. So he's not like using any new tool. He's just relying on that same uh, dysfunctional behavior. The only difference is he hasn't added any fucking booze vodka to the mix. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, And is there a point? where i don't know if i wrote it down or not but where jack or maybe it was later on but he talks about the five months drinking and how awful it was but well yeah i wrote i wrote the notes that's when he's in the bar and it's his toast but yeah so the whole beginning of the movie is interviewing right and even then even though he's five months dry i could like feel it and maybe it's because i projected myself onto it you know but just the coldness of the light and the starkness and how sterile and how like the whole time he's trying to affect this manner of like being a good natured nice guy but on the inside he's just like seething with rage he's like a coiled fucking spring yeah um you know and so the the of course you know and i'll say this throughout our review or our whatever we're doing here our a recap or whatever it's like the differences in the book and the movie right because in the book like he is this angry coiled seething thing but his sobriety is actually going pretty okay in the book like he's like all right things are getting better you know it's it's almost like being introduced into the hotel is what causes the relapse you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> whereas here it just feels like he's just hung over all the time you know when you see him even in his sobriety he's just like hung over like he just looks probably not getting any sleep and not do right. yeah not i i i can 
I can relate to that. I had a few, a few of those periods of like a month or maybe two where I didn't drink, but I wasn't like actively seeking anything other than to right. not drink. And right. you're See, just tired. Yeah. You feel like a big old bag of beef jerky. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's all salty and dry. You know, like. <laughs> and the one thing that you want <laughs> that you think is fun and joyful and happy is like, I can't have it. And I'm forcing myself no. not to. And this is stupid. And I can't wait till I can drink again. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. And this is kind of the movie is more a metaphor for that, I think, is that mm-hmm. once again, that dry, drunk, white knuckle, like. Ugh. like not using any not even a program i mean i don't want to be too program centric although you and i are but just not using any coping mechanism to deal with right. your addictive nature you know you know using um, nothing new just nothing new mm-hmm. i guess uh, a little fun fact here a little double f is that uh when he's in the lobby and they call him in to the office he's reading a playgirl magazine is he really? Yeah, yeah. There's saw a screen cap of it on the internet because I was like kind of looking up these little because this movie is full of fun facts which I'll pepper in through this mm-hmm. podcast because I went through and wrote them all down or wrote down the ones I thought. What were would be the point yeah. of of reading a Playgirl magazine? What I think it was like a little fucking Easter egg that Kubrick's just like throw that in there. It'll be funny because there are some funny shit in this movie. If you look mm. at it, there's some fucking little moments where I'm like, that's really fucking funny and nobody notices it. Yeah. Like he was just yeah. like this will be funnier rather than a Playboy make it a Playgirl. Right, he's and... not like holding. Right, holding, holding it. Up. It's a it's a Playgirl magazine, so it's like dicks and shit, you know, mm-hmm. like naked dudes like <laughs> whacking it. But he's not holding it. But but he's kind of holding. It. And when he gets up, he like pushes it off to one side to put it back on the end table there, and you can see it if you pause it. It says Playgirl magazine, <laughs> and so. I don't know what the meaning is in that. I I was kind of reading online like they theorized that maybe he was. I don't know, molested or something, but I'm like, that's kind of a stretch. It's not like people who had been sexually abused are like, I'm going to read Playgirl in public. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, that doesn't really... I think it was more like a little Easter egg funny thing that they Got just it. fucking threw in there, yeah. Um, And then I think after he does the interview and gets the job, which is super right. the super tense, like you said, that moment of just trying to be this proper right. dude. Um, right. Then he goes and gets his family... And they drive up, right? And mm-hmm. um, that whole drive up there, it's it's the same vibe of like Jack Nicholson just like trying to hold it together, you know? And I don't think he was a great choice, to be honest with you. <laughs> I've seen this movie uh-huh. so many times and I love it. But <clears throat> when I read the book, it fucked the movie up for me. Because he just is crazy from the beginning. And in the book, it's this slow boil Walter White, tra- like character arc where the guy's actually not a bad guy he's just a fucking drunk and he and like turns into this yeah. fucking monster you know and from the beginning nicholson's just like all gritted teeth and fucking five o'clock shadow just you know what i mean like mm-hmm. he learned it from watching the tv you know when they're talking about the cannibals and shit yeah and the donner party and like he's just i don't know man like watching him i'm like you're great when you're crazy but you're crazy through the whole thing so i'm just like there's no Poor. character arc, right? That's None what, at yeah. all. It's just he's like not as crazy and then becomes crazy. So you're like, yeah, mm. you're just doing doing the thing you do. Yeah. yeah. They had actually considered Robin Williams. Another fun fact. They had thought of Robin <laughs> Williams, Harrison Ford, and huh. uh, Ro- Robert De Niro. Huh. And uh, John Voight was one. And the other one was, the weird one was Leslie Nielsen. Yes, that would fucking been... Leslie Nielsen, dude. <laughs> just, 
No, that wouldn't. Don't, don't call me Shirley. Yeah. I can kind of see maybe like some John Voight or. Right. Right. You know, I mean, it's surprising to see, to think about Robin Williams because he was really good in one hour photo. And then that movie Insomnia with uh, Al Pacino. Mm-hmm. Right. And, were... but then they had said that Kubrick saw, saw him on mm-hmm. an episode of Mork and Mindy and was like, this guy's fucking almost perfect. He's almost too crazy though. Uh, yeah yeah. they thought he couldn't do low-key and then it turns out he could do low-key really fucking well so can you imagine that movie in our imagination imagine aquarium imagiquarium imagiquarium yeah so Um, that's like they meet fucking dick halloran who's mm -hmm. the fucking shit he's like my life goal dick halloran is this um he's probably like this 50 year old black guy scatman carruthers shaved head yeah He's the chef, head chef, um, and he's just got a very slow, um, cool. Um, and I don't know anything about Scatman Carruthers. I mean, I, I assume I don't he either. Did some singing or something, some scatting. I Probably. Don't know, but... I don't think he was into poop. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> but he's got this very just like smooth, soft way of talking, and he. Uh huh. It's like, can I bring? Can I take Danny to get some ice cream? Hey, Duck, you know, yeah. like, and the oh. kid likes him. Yeah, yeah. And the kid likes She's him. Like, and they... How do you know to call him Doc? He's like, ah, he just looks like a Doc, you know. Yeah, and so he knew yeah. his nickname. So they had already been shining between the two of them, and they're sitting there, and, and you know. I'm telling says, you, man. He, Dick he, Halloran, man. He's smooth. Listen, I like, let I me like tell his, you about Dick Halloran, all right? It's my theory. And so I <laughs> yeah, have that in my me. fucking notes, too, but I want to get there later. But my theory okay. with Dick Halloran, and this may not be – I don't. I don't even want to preface it with anything. I think Dick Halloran was fucking smashing cheeks at that hotel. That's all I'm saying. I think he was beating cakes, dude, because he is dressed to the fucking nines. He's super fucking friendly. Do you know what I mean? He's uh-huh. not bad looking for a dude in his sixties, you know. So I think he was just out there, just getting it. wrecking it, dude. Yeah, just you know, beating beating cakes, dude. Dick Halloran out there in I, the woods, and then and that's... I don't look up to him just because he's beating cakes. He's just smooth as fuck, man. He dresses nice. It's mm-hmm. Blue polyester coat, brass buttons does, and shit. Does not look does not look like a. I don't know when I imagine the 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 head cook or the head chef of a hotel. I don't know. I don't imagine. Dick you work at hotels. They're kind of shit shows. Do you know yeah. what I mean? The head yeah, cooks exactly. are kind of drunk assholes. Not mm-hmm. all of them. Some of you head cooks are cool as fuck. Right. But most head cooks I worked <laughs> a lot with. Of them. Mm-hmm. goddamn fucking shit show dude yeah mm-hmm. not halloran though halloran shows up head fucking but they lubricated and shit like he's been putting fine fucking oils on his body yes yeah dude he looks healthy well taken care of uh and they have the conversation he says tony and, and little boy danny says tony lives in my mouth and yeah you know what's mm-hmm. funny is that like when walter and i used to go out drinking and i think this was his idea but i can't remember we would have these alter egos, right? And so mm-hmm. I think mine was Bill and his was Todd. And we would just came, we came up with these names. And he right. was the one who said, and maybe he got it from The Shining indirectly or directly. And he said, yeah, Todd's the guy who lives in my mouth. And then he comes right. out when I've had too much to drink. And I was like, uh-huh. I, and I didn't occur to me until watching this this last weekend that it might have been. Um, I could see The Shining playing at Walter's house when he's a child. You know, <laughs> right. like his mom's just like, watch this. I don't know. <laughs> it's on the v- VCR or it's mm-hmm. on the uh, the afternoon movie. Um, there's one scene shortly thereafter where Jack Nicholson's having breakfast. I think um, or Jack Torrance is having breakfast. Wendy brings breakfast in. 
And again, that isolation where she's wheeling this cart down hall after hall after hall, mm-hmm. like it, it takes so long just to deliver the eggs and toast. And like, it's just, it's creepy. But he says, Jack says something to the effect of like, this feels like deja vu. Right. And I thought I was, and I wrote down a breakfast deja vu. The relapse is coming on. Like he kind of feels like something's gonna snap again. Like he's gonna start huh. drinking. I don't, I don't know if that's true or not, but that was just kind of a a, a brief vibe I got. Like it's what would deja hot, vu? It's a hot take. It's, yes. <laughs> well, and then there is they. Of course, they set it all up too with Jack. They talk about his sobriety at one point, and then they're walking through the ballroom, and Shelley Duvall's like, "Wow, we could throw a party in here." And the guy's like, "Well, hope you brought your own because there's no booze here." And then yeah. Jack Torrance is like, "Well, we don't drink." Yeah, you I know. wrote that. We don't. Yeah, drink. and there's that signifier, but um, um. Oh, I wanted to also talk about the uh, classic, but it's 1980, so it wasn't quite classic yet. The movie trope of something being built on an Indian burial ground, right? <laughs> yes, and so yes, he's like it's built on an Indian burial ground. You know? Oh no, I've I don't watched think Scatman a, said that. No, but I've watched a bunch of different. I've watched far too many documentaries both on youtube and and otherwise on this my room movie. 237 i've seen yeah. that movie um <sighs> and you know one of the things is that that was the burial ground part was just kubrick wanted that that's how he needed to have the supernatural come from somewhere at right. least in his mind in the plot i think that that right. was the purpose mm-hmm. of that that wasn't in the book no in the book it was there was so much death in that hotel mm. just because hotels are transitory places where people Go, do you know what I mean? They're yeah. in transition. Go, which once again, I would put my notes that, you know, a hotel is a, uh, what did I put? It was like a transitory, oh, uh, come on. It was like this transitory, uh, I'm going to say that about 10 more times. but um, <laughs> uh, Hotels are transitory places, a temporary lodging, and sobriety is a transitory state, which can also be a temporary existence. You know, like... Mm. Like it's hotels are very temporary. There's all this transition, things changing from one to the other. You're in transit while you're moving. Do you know what I mean? So I was trying Constantly. to grab those two there. But I think in the book it was more so that there was just a lot of death and a lot of bad vibes in the hotel. I, I cannot mm. recall whether or not it was on a Native American burial ground, but mm. but and what did you I mean, um what did you think about the hedge maze when they first well, the hedge maze isn't in the book. <laughs> oh, it isn't. No, it's these oh, big to- topiary okay. lions actually are in the book. And the topiary lions come to life. <laughs> oh, that's a whole different book. Which is, yeah, so, but story. then Kubrick, yeah, Kubrick's like, I can't do the topiary lions because we don't got the budget for it. But I can make Shelley Duvall do this take 127 times because I got the money for that. Is that is that one of the things that happened? That's one of the fun facts. We'll come to this. Okay. But, uh, yeah. Um, and I, I just wrote down because when they first introduced, they're like, yeah, go play in the hedge maze, but make sure you got an hour to get out of it, you know, or whatever. Right, right. Um, and I wrote, being the spouse and the child of an alcoholic must feel exactly like being in a hedge maze. Boom. Never knowing what's there around the corner. Yeah. Trying to find your way out. Always feeling trapped. You know, right. I felt it's like just... that was a good metaphor for their life with Jack Torrance. Right. As Very well. much so. I see that. Yeah. Another hot mm-hmm. take. Yeah. Um, also when she, there was a couple notes I'd made just even about the movie in general, like the scene where they're following him on the steady cam and he's on that little big wheel where Danny is yeah. and he's going from the hardwood floor and transitioning into the carpet and the hardwood floor. Like that seems amazing. That builds weird fucking tension because the sound of the wheels hitting 
the hardwood floor and then going mute when they hit the carpet and then going back to the hardwood floor and going mute. I like, I've always loved that scene. And there's just this movement in it, you know, and it's just this kind of building, this rhythm that's building something up. And then when you had talked about the breakfast scene, um, when, oh, yeah. when Jack Torrance gets up, he's wearing a shirt that says Stovington Eagles. Mm-hmm. And in the book, Stovington Prep was where Jack Torrance worked and he got fired from because he showed up to school one day drunk and punched out a student. <laughs> and that's why he has the job at the Overlook is because he can't teach high school English anymore because he was gets was getting too shit canned. And as a matter of fact, in the book, his best friend is the one who gets him the job at the Overlook. Like, and he hates Bill Ullman. Like, he hates the head, the caretaker, not the caretaker, but the the manager. He like fucking hates mm-hmm. his ass through the whole book. He like talks shit to him and stuff. But he keeps the job because his homie's on like the board of trustees for this hotel. But the Stovington Eagles shirt is like a nod, like once again, a Kubrick Easter egg where he's like, yeah, see, I can kind of keep it sort of like the book. Right, but not at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one scene where Wendy and Jack are talking and they're, Jack, he's really angry and I don't remember exactly what they were arguing about. You know, I just wrote this relationship is unhealthy, but I, he mm-hmm. just looks at her and he does this thing. He says, he goes, Wendy let me explain something to you. Yeah. And it was just the way he said that. And I don't even know, I don't remember what he said after that, but like, it was just this, like he has such disdain and such disgust for, yes. um, you resentment, know. right? Mm-hmm. Like big, like big to resent this person you're married to. It was, you know what it was? Cause I made notes on it too. Cause it was, that whole scene was really fucking relatable to me. Mm-hmm. I was like hearing someone tell my little story there for a second. Because she comes in, he's writing, he's frustrated mm-hmm. because nothing's really coming out of him, I imagine, and he's got the fuzz, the funk, and the fucking white knuckle shit, and, and it reminded me so much of when I was drunk, and I'd be in my garage painting, and Megan would come out innocently and be like, you want a sandwich? And I'd be like, I don't want a fucking sandwich, you know what I mean? Like, really? I would just go from zero to ten, like, immediately. Yeah, that was, like, pretty much my whole drinking career near the end was me, Jack Nicholson, my wife, you know, just being like... <laughs> If I'm in here, you hear a fucking NPR podcast, I'm working. And if you don't hear an NPR podcast, I'm still fucking working. You know, and that's what he tells her. Like, if you hear the typewriter, I'm working. Even if you don't hear the typewriter, I'm not, I'm still working. He's like, so get the fuck out of here. That's what he says to her. And like, it gave me goosebumps because I've had that conversation with my wife when I was drinking. Yeah. Where she'd come in and try to be cool. Like, Hey, how's it going? How's your, and I'd be like, get the fuck out of here. Like. You got nothing to do with this. You distract me. You make it worse. Because I'd be frustrated with... Whatever you were doing, not being able yeah. to focus or... And drunk and fucking everything else in the world is on my ass. And Listening now you're coming to Terry here, Gross on Fresh Air. Listening to Joe Rogan talk about smoking DMT with like a French <laughs> language philosopher. Something you have no no business listening yeah. to that you're not going to remember. And like, right, exactly. Right. There's no real bearing on your life, but seems exactly. somehow... Yeah. So it like really, it like really resonated with me because I remember having really mean fucking conversations where you just leave the room deflated. I could not imagine being the spouse of someone who does that. You know, just you come in with the best of intention and you leave the room castigated and fucking the legs kicked out from under you. Like, well, fuck. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I felt really bad for when I feel bad just for Shelley Duvall in this entire movie, just her yeah. life dealing with Stanley Kubrick because he was just a fucking dick to her. He was well. It yeah, was, he was, was that horrible. Part of him too. like trying to get the right 
uh, performance yes, or something. That's exactly what it was, dude. He like isolated her and treated her really badly. Like she had a couple of nervous breakdowns, had like hair loss from it and shit. There's another Jesus. Fun fact. But um, it's really funny too because the Wendy in the book is not the same character. The Wendy in the book mm. is this blonde cheerleader type who has a lot of inner strength. She's really strong through the entire book. And she's like, Jack, you don't fucking talk to me like that. You know, like she lets him know. Whereas in the movie, Kubrick was looking for a woman who could let let her husband just railroad over her. He's like, I want someone weak and and fucking who has no backbone. You know, I think that's Shelley Duvall for sure. She does. Yeah. that really well. She did olive oil pretty well, too, though. Yeah. With Robin yeah. Williams. Yeah. Can you imagine that whole pair of where it just that would have been fucking awesome. Um, that was the same year, wasn't mm-hmm. it? I I might have been. I gotta look it up. I remember seeing that in the theater when I was a little kid, though. Me too. I remember loving mm-hmm. that movie, Popeye. Um, it says, "When I'm in here, that means don't come in." That was the quote. It just, uh. and I feel like that's the beginning of the um of the of the end. That's that. That's that, it. Mm-hmm. Where it's like now there's boundaries, or it's like hands off when I'm in here. And I think so. Also, one of the cool things in the movie is it starts with like whatever present day, and then it's like five months later. And yeah. Then Ooh. and then the the time gets narrow and narrower. And I think at some point it says like Thursday instead of five months right. later. So mm-hmm. now we're going to get into each day of the week rather than you know months at a time. Right. Um, so that kind of I feel like that built tension as well. Yes. In the movie. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Because it starts to accelerate you know Mm -hmm. um also the color schemes in this i mean you know you can say a lot about the music or the lack of music in a lot of the scenes Mm -hmm. like you were talking about the just the hot wheels on the floor right um but like there's all these like really nauseating greens and pinks and yellows yellows are really prevalent color mm -hmm. yellow and red yeah and red Mm -hmm. and so um oh what do you do we 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 already saw the um the the famous blood through the elevator yeah it's in there multiple times it's in it's but yeah this danny's already had the hallucination of the blood in the elevator and shit but yeah the colors are they're fucking gross 70s colors you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. they really are and everything's off a little bit and um yeah you know what scene also is kind of right after that is where he's playing and they're watching tv and he's like i want to go get my fire engine and she's like oh, well yeah. dad's up there sleeping and immediately mm-hmm. i was like "Ooh, drunk dad right there dude like mm-hmm. well I, I but can i and she's like be fucking quiet if you're gonna don't wake up daddy because he's sleeping you know what i mean when he goes in it's just total drunk dad shit like experience that shit firsthand you know like you just mm-hmm. walk in a room and your dad is like staring out of a window and he's like <laughs> Come here. Come here. It's not... I even even write come here in my notes. I just wrote C-M-E-R-E. Come here. Come here. And he puts you up in his lap and he's, Daddy loves you. Daddy's always loves you more than anything. And it's just, you're like, yo, dude, I'm just trying to get my hovercraft out the back room or whatever. And like... You're supposed to be sleeping. You just stared out the window. Yeah, staring out a window, hungover, you know. I mean, he's not hungover yet, but you know, like he's just... I don't know. Man. I don't mean to laugh. It's terrifying and it's tense. It is terrifying, it's but it's awful. funny because I think we both experienced it mm-hmm. and we both know that feeling of being like a little kid and your dad's just like uh... shit can like come here little guy and you're like fuck, dude. You know, I think And as is... adults we can mm-hmm. laugh at it cuz we're like, well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's relatable, yeah. It's also one of those things that I think growing up as an alcoholic and as a kid is that we 
we often um, learn to mitigate, um, I don't want to say the horrors of our lives, but like the, the stressors, right? Like, so we learn to deal with them very quickly and we learn how to manipulate situations, right? So it's like, oh, my dad's awake and he was supposed to be asleep and now I got to pretend like, you know, I love him and, you know, or I got to be right. nice while he's awake and all this stuff. And I think that's something that I, I know for me, and I think a lot of people can relate is that idea of learning to manipulate people from a very early age for your survival. Right. And there's you know? a lot of like <clears throat> trying to traverse eggshells at five years old. You're like, mm-hmm. how the fuck do I walk on eggshells when I have, when I still believe in fucking Santa Claus? Do you know what I mean? Like learning how to walk on eggshells with another person in your life is <clears throat> something that a kid should know, have to know how to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it should be a skill you learned as an adult. And then realize you shouldn't be hanging around people who make you walk on eggshells anyways. But like, yeah. I don't know, man, that, that having to learn that careful shit as a little kid is it's, it's sad. It's really sad. Yeah. I feel bad. For, I feel it's bad not, for Danny. Um, you know, I just real quick, I went to, I did this, I worked this party where we did like the chef brought his pizza oven out to this backyard and there was all these little kids playing in this big field and mm-hmm. very well to do people, you know, who are renting a, pizza oven to come to their house yeah right <laughs> and so we're like getting all the pizzas and there's house made ice creams and all the kids are having this beautiful time and i don't know i don't want to judge anybody necessarily but it was like there were there was a, a zip tie or not a zip tie but a um, zip, zip line, line. <laughs> yeah zip tying all the kids <laughs> spanking them there was a zip line and like a swing and there's horses and shit like that and i was like what a beautiful childhood and, and part of me was kind of sad for a moment i was like fuck dude i didn't have any of that and right. I mean, for a moment I got over it, but it was right. just, you know, and I also don't know what any of these people are going through or what they, what they contend with and any of these kids and who knows, you can't really tell from, from perceptions. So, um, but it's just really hard. So I don't know. just, that little thing popped in my head from this job that I did last weekend. Did you go on the zip line <clears throat> after everybody <laughs> left? For, yeah, right? No, it's for little kids only, I think. I think it was it wasn't even tall enough for me to be. It was like a four foot zip you line. Just hold it with one hand and run. <laughs> You're like reliving your childhood. Just like <laughs> I didn't get this as a kid. <laughs> yeah. We were super poor. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, John, you need to leave. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> um so getting back to the movie. Um so- this is this scene segues yeah. into him actually wandering into the bar and meeting Grady. Okay. Yeah. And having like pretty much what I imagine to be like a mixture of John a John and Coda conversation with a bartender is what I was the vibes I was picking up the whole time. Oh yeah, I love it. He's yeah, like, the whole conversation he has yeah. reminds me of you and Coda together, like as one person. Like there's Talking the to some Coda, bartender. Yeah, dude. Yeah. There's like the code of cockiness, but then there's the John like wit. I don't know. There was just uh-huh. this mixture. I was like, I've seen them both do I, this. I could see it. Being hey, really Lloyd. super clever. Hey, Lloyd. I like you, Lloyd. You're my favorite. <laughs> For what does he say from Timbuktu to fucking Portland, Maine? <laughs> or Portland, Portland Oregon. Portland, Oregon. You know? Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. He's just yeah. that sort of clever and witty and sort of fucking. Yeah, exactly. Cockshore as well cocksure he takes the drink right and that's the we were talking about earlier the toast i wrote it down because i thought it was so fucking funny he says here's the five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm it's caused me uh-huh. and then he takes the shot and then he does the switch like i said mm-hmm. he doesn't do the shoulder slump switch but you see this switch in his face when the liquor finally the ghost because it's all ghost booze none of it's real booze right 
Yeah, it's, it's not, ghost. It's boost. not like he had a bunch of monarchs stashed behind the bar or anything. Right. It's, yeah, oh, but still. He, what else he says? I wrote this out. He says, I give my goddamn soul for a glass of beer. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. And I think he does. He says, or what's the other quote? Is you slip me a bottle of bourbon, a glass with some ice, something else. Um, That's what he's drinking, bourbon and ice. Yeah. yeah. All the, I wrote the same thing, the irreparable harm it has caused to me. That's right. great. Which to us, when we were drinking, would have been a fucking great line. We mm-hmm. would have been throwing that shit around every time we'd sit in a bar and take a shot of like whatever, you know? Yeah. But uh, his face, you see like the slack in his eyes. He plays drunk really well. Mm-hmm. Probably because he's drunk a lot in real life. Or he was, I imagine, at this point in his life. But, yeah. But he just has it nailed. I mean, the looseness, everything gets loose and... Then he goes into the whole thing about, you know, one second per second of extra force, you know, mm-hmm. talking about his son. I didn't mean to hurt the kid, you know, broke his fucking arm. Well, just those when, that moment of like drinking and that's when all these emotions come out, whether they're good or bad. You know, even that like you may have genuine love for your kid and you're like all that shit just all of a sudden comes out. That's the release valve. Right. That's what right. we go for because you're like, right. I cannot express this sober, so I need a couple of. Mm-hmm. To a couple of 20 drinks you know or whatever to be able to tell you this you know or to express these feelings you know and that's yeah. that's it's a great scene and yeah i love i love the whole the whole um discussion between him and lloyd and lloyd is just this deadpan ghost bartender yeah you know? nothing like, he's got mm-hmm. nothing on nothing on jack right mm-hmm. and then um i don't know if jack goes back okay so this is a question i have for you i've never heard of this shit Ad- advocate Advocate the so, so liquor he spills on him. Yes. Yeah, so have so you ever heard quick, of it? Um, I had never. I have heard of it now that I looked it up. But advocate. Mm-hmm. So real quick before we get into that, one of the things I noticed too was they had the old school pour spouts in the whiskey. It was a bottle of Jack mm-hmm. Daniels, but it was made from cork instead of plastic, so you knew. That and it this is a like, metal top with the little lip with the, yeah, little, the little valve flap. on it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the flap. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so what happens is you're talking about he spills advocate, so the Grady, the guy, um, they're in the gold yeah. room. Um, That's the yellow. See, all the yellows are coming mm-hmm. in. The yellow is supposed to be this metaphor for his madness creeping mm-hmm. in, all these yellows. He says, but go it's ahead. good to be back, Lloyd. It's good to be good back, to be Lloyd. Back. <laughs> How about a little bit of the hair of the dog? That bit me. <laughs> right. You're like, Thinking shit. he was so fucking clever. To fuck up. I want to know what man is buying me my drinks, Lloyd. I'm like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Just exactly. Total mm-hmm. fucking alcoholic just thinking they're clever. Um, Advocat is a uh, it's a Dutch cream and egg based liquor. So it's a, it is an absolute mess. And I I don't know anything else other gross. than Yeah, it's, it looks really gross. It does um, look gross. And so I think it might be something that high society in the twenties, I think they were really into a lot of eggs and they were super into putting eggs and milk in their booze back then they were just anything to get that fucking prohibition era booze to not taste like fucking shit yeah like wood grain you know Mm -hmm. whatever um there was one uh yeah yeah it's just a lot of that nasty stuff um but and the the booze was it was terrible and um yeah, I don't know. I was gonna say something about eggnog, but advocate. So it just it was some fancy shit. Oh, okay. it was in. I think it was in the. It was in the AA book. Uh, it was in the big book where he talks about putting whiskey in his milk or something like that. Yeah, he does talk about putting milk in the whiskey so it doesn't hurt his stomach. And I don't say that necessarily to talk about 
um, the big book, but during that era, that was something that was done in the 20s right. and 30s mm-hmm. that today you would never think, like, I'm going to put a little whiskey in my milk. Like, that's awful. Yeah, you that's know. a rough night. Yeah, <laughs> just just plug your nose. Just so the, don't. How about don't in general? Don't. But yeah, so you the like waiter how the inner spills, drum comes out yes. of me? Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> the waiter spills, like, this tray full of cream liqueur all over it. Like mm-hmm. covers him in it, and then has to then takes him to the bathroom, and he goes. He, all of a sudden, now he's very. Um, Jack goes from very angry and and frustrated and antagonistic to like, sure, let's go to the bathroom and clean me off, like right. whatever you There's, say. And he's like jovial about it and mm-hmm. kind of moods like his mood swing and yeah. He's also like yeah, like really um, yeah, like he's down to just go to the bathroom with this dude. This red, red, red fucking bathroom. Yeah, it's creepy. Right. And so in the meantime, too, before all this, like, because there's a cut in between the two scenes where he, like, leaves and then comes back to the bar again. Mm -hmm. But when he's leaving, his kid is, like, psychically fucking communicating with Dick Halloran. And this is where it comes in where Dick Halloran has the dopest house I've ever seen. You want to talk about it? I know you do. Listen, dude, I'm just so excited because, like, it's him watching TV. And then it pans out. And it's just this painting of this naked fucking lady with this giant afro. And there's a bunch of records off to one side of the TV. And then it pans to him. And he's, like, in some comfy PJs. And there's a naked fucking lady behind him with a big-ass afro and a painting. And I'm like, once again, dude, Dick Halloran. And he goes out in his living room to use a phone. He's got, like, a little wet bar there. But you know Dick ain't got no problems, man. He's got that shit smooth handled. Yeah. You know, he's not a drunk. No. He just just likes to fuck a lot, you know? like He's just mostly there for the company, you know? You want yeah, a little sharing? Yeah, pretty much. You know, you have some ladies over, maybe some dudes. You never know with Dick. You know, shit yeah. might get wild. He doesn't. He's care, down in dude. Florida having it, having a time. You know, he's on the off season, having a time, dude. Making some of those older ladies feel good about their lives. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. <laughs> so that's I was just so excited because I was like, there are two naked fucking women, and it's like just paintings. Like, mm-hmm. welcome to my bedroom, and it's just like these fucking old swinging dicks, sh- shiny fucking naked. They're all shiny and shit and. <laughs> Oil yeah. up. I loved it. Yeah. I remember seeing that as a little kid and being like, this dude's cool, man. Mm-hmm. This dude's got it figured out. Um, So so he has – so Danny's talking to Dick Halloran through The Shining. They're having the telepathic mm-hmm. conversation. Right. And um, then Grady's cleaning up Jack. And Jack, he has this weird thing where he's like – Jack says something about, are you the caretaker – and he says, "No, Jack, you've been the caretaker all this time, or you've been the whole it all time. along." Yeah. And so there's that, um, uh, there's that idea that he's been here forever. That this is just he's just part of some other larger entity or possession, or they don't really get into the specifics of it. But right. Uh, and well, and later on in the at the end of the movie, they'll we'll talk about that. But um, you've always been the caretaker. Um, uh. He, from doing the dirty, doing my dirty, what did I write? Um, Was it duty? Oh, corrected my daughters from doing, yeah, doing the from, duty. From keeping my, keeping me from doing my duty. Which is, which is killing. Well, it's murder. also, yeah, and also watching out for the Overwatch. Or right. the over, over, Overwatch? Is that the, Overlook. Overlook. That Overwatch, Overwatch is that game. Movie, that video game, yes. Yeah, that I don't play anymore. But yeah, he's at the Overlook, and his duty was like in service to the Overlook. And mm-hmm. one of the little girls tried to burn it down, and so he murdered them. And then the wife was like, yo, you straight killed our kids. And he's like, and now, back off, motherfucker. What if the Overlook and the, the possession, the spirit, is... Mm-hmm. 
a metaphor for the alcoholism. And so all these be. people I are f- getting in the way of these men, the, this man's alcoholism, whether it's Jack or Grady or whomever. That was the thought that I had too. Like, Yeah, it absolutely could be. Did you notice that they dropped some N-bombs with some hard R's, but the British guy even rolled the R at the end of the N-word? Yes, yes, I yeah. did. Mm-hmm. And like, I, for a second, I was like, man, that word is gross. You can't just class it up by rolling an R at the end mm-hmm. of it. No, no. Yeah, it's very much a movie of he like 19, of 19. rolls the R at the end mm-hmm. of it, though, and I'm like, God damn, you just put a doily on that turd, didn't right? you? Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, I even have on my notes The Shining dropping that N-bomb mm-hmm. on here because I was surprised. I forgot about that whole scene. I was like, what does Dick Halloran's race have to do with it? I guess just to make them more despicable of people. Right. But it was the 80s, right? So right. that was just like, hey, we're white. That's what we do. You know? Right. It's problematic. And so is this where where um where he does he wake up and have a bad dream is this where he 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 like freaks out and then jack wakes up and he goes i had a bad this dream. is what happens in the interim that i did not take the notes for in between him going to the bar the first time he has that dream the little boy walks into room 237 and the old lady chokes mm-hmm. him and the little boy comes back and he's having <clears> that <throat> awful dream the little boy comes back with his sweater torn and a hand marker on his neck and shelly duvall's like you did this, you fucking asshole, and takes off, don't hurt my baby, and runs off. And that's why he goes to the bar the second time. Right. Because he's like, she's now she's accusing me of fucking our kid up, and I never fucked our kid up. Right. Yeah. And um, that's the... Uh, or that might be is, the first time. This I'm is not where sure. we come I'm... back to Red Rum is first introduced, I think, as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Um, And... And and Danny at some point just keeps going red rum red rum and he's right. he writes mm-hmm. on lipstick and he's doing the thing with the finger, and um, and uh, and the knife he grabs the knife and so she wakes up. She wakes up and sees Danny with the fucking knife screaming red rum. Right. And this uh, is you with little Danny Torrance. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, what are you doing, buddy? You working on your play, like your dad. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think that I don't think red rum. I don't think rum is really any sort of connection to alcohol, other than it's just murder backwards. M- murder backwards. I guess it was right. the name of a horse. That's that's I guess what it came from originally. Red rum. That, that was also fun facts. Yeah, the name of a horse in like one of the Kentucky Derbies. Hmm. But there was another thing I wanted to bring up. Yeah, when Dick Halloran flies into Colorado. Yes. And then he's at the airport and he calls his buddy Larry at the garage. Mm -hmm. In the first like three seconds of that shot, when Larry comes into the garage, there's just this dude in the corner who's looking at a titty calendar. (laughs) And he's got his face buried in the titty calendar and he's holding it up. If you go back and watch it, pause it on that scene. Uh Because this dude is just straight checking out a titty calendar in the middle of the fucking day in a garage. Like he's like looking at the month to like three months ahead, like looking at it. And you can clearly see there's titties out and he's like in a big coat. And then Larry opens up the door. My notes are like, there's a dude checking out a nudie calendar in the garage with Larry. Because, like, I think that's another one of those weird, shining fucking Easter eggs that he threw in there. Just like the fucking naked paintings that Halloran had. I think know? it's important to do some schedule blocking, you know, for the future, for the coming months. Right, you know? exactly. To be He's ready. like, listen, I got some really important shit between these two nipples. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. Coming up next April. Oh man, I gotta pay my rent right right around the time of the bush. All this bush right here, this hairy pubic hair—that's my rent time. So this is where this is where Dick Holleran is trying to get back, and he's got to rent the snowmobile to get up there. Snowcat, yeah, poor snowcat, dude. dude. Yeah, and Jack Torrance has completely lost his shit. 
at this point. That scene, the scene that is in the Guinness Book of World Records for uh, the most takes in a movie, right? So um, the scene where Wendy's backing up the stairs and he's going, I'm not going to... baseball bat? Yeah, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains the fuck in or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Her backing up the stairs, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, they did that in 127 takes. And... According to them, they said that Shelley Duvall was so exhausted when they were filming that she would just sit down and fall asleep on the stairway in between takes when they would pull Jesus. the camera back and set reset the sound. But then um, the, the the claim is disrupt is disputed, though, by the steady cam operator and the assistant editor. And they said it didn't take that many. It only took it only took 35 to 45 takes, which still is a, a lot of fucking takes. It but is. Kubrick did tons of fucking takes, though. That was I've his heard jam. this about him, mm-hmm. and I, I mean, thirty-five. I've never, I've never been on a movie set proper, but um, I can imagine having to do that same thing over and over, and you still got to right. bring that level of intensity. I mean, well, I guess... think about even when we record a podcast and it doesn't come through, and we have to re-record it and try to remember our conversational tone within conversational tone, the marks we hit that were profound to us. You know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah, and then have to memorize the fact you're. I couldn't imagine it. I think you can see it in her face. She's not even holding the bat right. She's like, no, choking she's it got it. Yeah, it's too high. Like, yeah, just like crying. Like, and she's like, I just want to go back to my room. Like, I felt there was so much honesty. She's like, I'm very confused right now. I'm like, yes. poor fucking Shelly, dude. She's not even acting at this point. She's just no. like, I want to go back to my room. Stanley, leave me alone. Room. Yeah, yeah. And they even said, uh, if you watch the behind the scenes, which I've, because I've seen this movie so many times, the behind the scenes, you can hear. Kubrick yelling at members of the the rest of the the crew, telling them, "Don't talk to fucking Shelley. You leave Shelley alone. This, Shelley's ruining Jesus. it for everybody. He's like, you're fucking making us all stay here late because you're not doing it right. Don't you give Shelley any sympathy? She doesn't need sympathy. Like yelling Jesus. it, like, and they're filming him do it, you know. And he's like, well, I guess I'm gonna go play chess now with the guy who plays Larry, <laughs> which is also what he did. Oh man, um, so. He knocks her. He, she knocks him. She out, knocks him out. Yeah. Right. So then he's like, "Um, this is this is, we're fucking. They gotta be. They gotta get killed." Um, right. And is that where the axe comes in, or does he? Does she get him in? Great. I think she drags, she drags him into him the dry in, storage. Right. And then Grady lets him out, and I think Grady gives him the axe. So the ghost. So he gets locked in the dry storage, and I love mm-hmm. at some point like he's just laying on the fucking bag of flour just and he's got the snacks out, out like bleeding yeah, yeah Woke, and i snacks. just i imagined him because when he comes to i was like he's totally hung over he's just like passed mm-hmm. out bleeding from his head he's got like a bag of fucking chips and oreos or whatever's next to him yeah you ever wake up like that on a tuesday i have absolutely like yeah oh man how did i get in here and bleeding too like why am i bleeding <laughs> yeah the fuck and so there's all this like there's a lot of speculation about who let him out of the dry storage but it's got to be the ghost you know it was the ghost i think the ghost talks to him and opens up the door yeah um and um so gives him the axe and then there's this is where we get up to the famous here's johnny um Mm -hmm. moment the thing i love is that the camera angle when he's taking the axe to the door the camera is focused specifically on the axe head so like the way that the camera swings with it is amazing like it's Mm -hmm. it's super um powerful effective like pan and scan yeah it's called a pan and scan yeah and you know but because the axe is swinging so frequently and so quickly Mm -hmm. 
and to be able to do it without like it just being blurry it was i mean it's just it's a it's a great shot it's really it's super intense super fucking disorienting mm-hmm. yeah it, yeah it's definitely it builds up in that scene um, it makes like the tension just uh oh and then uh, he, he kills dick yeah dude this is what i'm saying fucking dick halloran gets on a plane how long do you think it takes to fly from Florida to from from Miami or Copa or wherever he's at? You know, I don't four know if Copa's a town in Florida, but yeah, to Colorado about four hours. You think? Yeah. Then he's got to drive five hours to get the snowcat. Then he got to sit in the snowcat for another five hours to get up there, and then he makes it to the front door and gets killed. God damn, dude, that's he's like strong, but he's not a young man. That's a lot of no. He's not a young man. That's two days of fucking travel just to get murked within five minutes, dude. You just walk right through the door and you just catch a bad one, dude. Mm-hmm. In the book, he um, doesn't die. In the book, he just hits him with a mallet in the head and knocks him out. There's also not an axe in the book. Here's my Jerry push up my glasses oh. nerd moment. But tell me, in the in the book, it's a uh, it's not a croquet mallet. It's a a mallet, but it's not the game croquet. It's a different game. I can't remember the name of the game though. But it's There's just like croquet. There's another game with, with a mallet. There's another yeah. game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got a different name. Um, I don't know. But anyway, he's just knocking, fucking killing everybody with mallets. So, so in this, as Wendy's running away, there's this scene that I don't understand. And there's like a dude in a dog outfit. Like right. she comes around who's like got his face in the lap of a man in a tuxedo. And like, so what is up with that? Is there any like... I'm looking it up right now because I know it has something I can't remember um I can't remember what it was but it has significance in the book. Oh, and the mallet's called a roke mallet. Um, roke. But you know what I mean? Like it has yeah. something like it, it's so strange and so odd that this this guy is what is he getting head from this dog or from this yeah, furry? Yeah, because if you look, I saw it, I was watching it, and if you, uh, just earlier, and the the back butt flap of the costume is open, so his ass is just out in the air. So it's a, just very odd. And I think it was super... like a sex thing. Right. And I don't know why. Wendy just stumbles upon these two guys, or we don't know if it's a guy in the dog outfit. It could be a woman. Um, but this guy's getting head from a dog, supposedly. Um, we can't really right. see that because of the way that it's cut, but, um, I don't know. It's just more bizarre stuff happening in the overlook. Maybe just get a little freaky. I think, I think it had to do with in the book, uh, see, they're getting way deep into it. I believe in the book, there was like some sexual thing that happened during a costume party or something in the book. I, I'm, I don't know if I'm correct or not. There might be a listener out there who's just like, ah, I just threw it in cause it was funny, but right. I don't know. Hmm. Well, I I think that that's that's probably fine too because it's just weird and creepy and jarring. Yeah, because there is a man in a dog costume in the novel doing something like, hmm. but I can't remember what it was. And then Kubrick's like, "It's not a dog; it's a bear." And we're like, "Listen, dude, you British mean jerk." Was he British? I don't know if he's British. I think Stanley. Yeah, he's British. Um, and this is where the head. Sh- so it's winter time. It's packed right. with snow. And this is where Danny finally escapes out the bathroom window. Mm-hmm. And Wendy's like, just run, run, run. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess that's... Halloran rolls up in the snowcat. Yeah. J- Halloran... Jack stops attacking her and runs out and fucking kills Halloran. Right. So she gets to get away. She has a minute to get away. Mm-hmm. But he goes, after, he goes after Danny. 
and um, starts following him through the uh, through the through the hedge maze and is like you know just being weird, Jack and crazy and yeah, saying Danny, I won't hurt you. And I wrote um, in this at one point, Danny gets smart and he is running and he realizes dad can see my tracks right he mm-hmm. can just follow me by my tracks i can't i can't run away from this guy i can't hide from him so he backs yeah. up into his own tracks to try and hide and i wrote uh, childhood trauma of living with an alcoholic and learning to retrace your steps in the snow to avoid the fallout of a father on a bender and so mm-hmm. i've found this to be true in that you're kind of like don't want to be seen a lot of times as a kid as a child of an alcoholic like i would not want to be seen i would want to be invisible because if Mm -hmm. i was seen that would mean i would be in trouble and that i would i would something horrible was going to happen so it was better for me to be invisible and hide than to Mm. be so that i thought that was an interesting you know you could say that was a metaphor for growing up with an alcoholic and absolutely it's a great perspective on it yeah Uh i just thought he was running away that too he was (laughs) (laughs) um unintelligible screams in the night sounded like homer simpson at the end when they're driving away so they escape right they finally get away he gets lost in the maze and danny finds his way out because he's a smart Mm -hmm. little guy and they him and the mom get in the snowcat that halloran left that Halloran arrived in and they bounced mm-hmm. in that. And then Nicholson's just in the maze going, yeah, like Homer Simpson. I mm-hmm. it was, and I, I feel like that's, again, if we're looking at this through the lens of, of alcoholism, alcoholics, um, that's just more fucking drunken babble. I mean, how many times have you well, been yeah. so beyond the realm of words, you know? I mean, where you just and maybe you don't know. I mean, who knows how many times of babbling in a blackout? But until you get to the a ultimate lot. blackout, yeah, the which ultimate is what blackout. Jeez, <laughs> happy Halloween! <laughs> You're gonna die. But that's what happens to him. He freezes to death, and he's got that yeah, ridiculous exactly. look on his face, right? Which is Cooper's iconic like, as well. But yeah, cross your eyes a little. I'm like, yeah. no, that was a bad choice. It's a bad choice, you guys. Yeah. So, the ho- so, ah. so your thoughts on this movie is that since the last time you saw it, it's not nearly as good as it could have been, or you remembered it to be. Or <sighs> yes, you it you have changed. I think I've changed. It didn't age well with me. I didn't think it was bad. I'd still watch it, but there were definitely parts I wanted more out of it. There was so much more that Kubrick could have done with it. Even if it didn't, even if he had taken, which he did, he took a total complete path, a different path than King did. Mm-hmm. The book is really good in its themes of alcoholism and the disintegration of families. Really fucking fascinating, really relatable to me. Not every book has to be relatable to me, but in order for me to enjoy it, I have to find a little bit of myself in it, I think, or a little bit of right. some my hopes or dreams or whatever, my fears. Something. But there's parts in the Stephen King book that are corny as fuck, like, fire hose turned into a snake which was the whole genesis of the book or like the topiary animals were fucking kind of dumb but there were parts in the book that were really truly frightening like there's a whole scene with wasps and and at the end of the book the hotel is destroyed it blows up because he doesn't dump the boiler because he's too busy chasing around with a roke mallet trying to kill him right Mm -hmm. and so I don't know. I just felt like Kubrick could have really explored his madness. The madness could have taken... It was a two-hour long movie. At that point, we had time to sit back and ease into this long fucking arc of craziness. But it really does go like... 
Oh yeah, he's an angry guy pretending to be a nice guy. Five months later, he's fucking totally crazy. You know what I mean? Like you don't see this build up, this repetitious right. build up, and the isolation making him more crazy, and the ghosts, and then you know his white knuckle fucking recovery. You know you don't really see much of that in the movie. Yeah, which I wish there was more of. But other than yeah. that, it's beautiful, and the soundtrack's yeah. amazing. The yeah. soundtrack's intense, dude. And there's a naked old fucking gargoyle lady in it, which is always a fucking... We didn't even go past that. We forgot about that. Room 237. Yeah. That was the big right. thing. Like, don't go which into was, room 237. Don't go in there. And Danny, of course, is like, well, of course I'm going in there because then the movie won't happen unless I go right. in there. Yeah. And I forgot. There was this... So Jack finds this naked woman who turns into some old hag. Who's dead. Who's yeah. dead. But we skipped naked... right over that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what that means, other than it was just creepy and weird. Was that in the book as well? Yes, in the book she was actually an heiress who was this old heiress who was um, fucking a real young gigolo, and then the gigolo left her, and then right. she got depressed and committed suicide by taking pills and slitting her wrists in a tub, and so they find her body. And the book and in the movie, I feel like it served to be that kind of last pin being pulled out of, of the structure before it crashed because that's when Shelley Duvall or when Wendy Torrance tells him you did this right. because you broke his arm years ago and you're a drunk piece of shit and you yes. still can't control your fucking anger and that's where it all kind of tumbles all his resentment spills out and he's like you'll never let his me live insanity. it down mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. that's when the it, I think that cracks open the doorway in his mind for the ghosts and all that infectious shit to get in there you know huh. was that one naked lady yeah but in the book they built you know it's a book it's like they build it up way more you know they right. can't do much with the movie right hmm well I don't was there ever a shining 2 did they ever do that like some low rent version of it or no but he did write Doctor Sleep which is a sequel to Shining and I want to do I want to do that one with you next month um, right because I know you suggested that book to me, and it took me a while to get through, but I loved it, and it was right. super cool. Like it's the sequel to The Shining. Well, Base. and his, well, his his big question was, what if Danny Torrance was also an alcoholic, and instead of being like his dad and white knuckling, he went to AA? Yeah, yeah, and, pretty much. I mean that that was the question that started him writing that book. You know? mm-hmm. And that book, like, there's some scenes where he talks about that the, he he describes a hangover like I've never. Um, you want to talk about horror? <laughs> yeah dude well Stephen King's had a bunch of them just like we've had so we can read that shit and be yeah. like oh I've fucking been there you know like Painful. yeah um, but it's also he, he writes really relatably about AA and very accurately obviously because you know Stephen King is was helped by that program as well right mm-hmm. um, but yeah um, that'll be next time around though yeah I, I want to do that it's out next next week I think or on oh on DVD or no in the theaters, no, in the theaters. oh man I gotta go get a sitter I'll go see it though. We'll figure out. I'll just leave her here with the cat. The cat will watch her. It'll be fine. Cool, man. Well, I I I don't know how if I'll ever have to watch it again. Maybe it'll be another few years. But I think I've gotten my fill of The Shining for a while. Yeah, I mean, I've got it on my computer. I don't know. Yeah. All right. All right, John. Thank you. Good movie (laughs) review, and that's us at the movies. At the movies. All right. Thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah.